Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. Everybody. I hope, hope by the time this uh this uh podcast gets posted, the world is a little bit better, a little bit brighter mm-hmm. um than it is at the moment um for us in our personal lives and also all around the world. Um yeah. <laughs> obviously, um, you know, we're very concerned about what's going on over in Europe and we want to acknowledge that what is happening is not okay. Um and we feel very much for the Ukrainian people and also those in Russia who don't want this war um, that are protesting and getting taken away in vans. That's not cool either. Um, so I just wanted to kind of broach that big, scary subject real mm-hmm. quick before we yeah. jump into <laughs> our shit. Large, <laughs> scary subject. It is a scary subject and not really the subject of our podcast. So I do, I do just want to address, this is one of those moments where I feel like this podcast becomes a moment of escapism for me. Um, yeah. Anyway. Hello everyone. <laughs> anyway, we're here. <laughs> anyway, we're here and I guess I'm rambling today. Um, so how are you? Fresh I am out. quite all right. Fresh out of the ER. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doing a I'm lot better than I was yesterday. Glad that, you know, it's just so, because it's something completely different than what you're going to the ER for like a couple months ago. And it's just, no, it's I crazy. Can't break. <laughs> you really can't. And I feel like I can't either. Yeah, it's it's already starting out to be one of those years and it's only two months in. So this is fun. Somebody was like 2022 is going to be my year and now we're all suffering because of it. Hello, JK. (laughs) Definitely not my year. Um, Yeah, so like my entire kitchen was out of commission for a week because my uh, stove and my dishwasher decided to stop working about the same time. Um, All started when my um burner one of the burners on my oven would not shut off oh no it would not shut off so we had to like unplug it otherwise it would just stay on oh my god (laughs) you have an electric one right yeah 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 and then three days later the hot water to the master bathroom stopped working just the master bathroom though not the guest bathroom (laughs) Oh, so like the whole house is falling apart. Yeah. I mean, it's all like minor fixes, but like, what are the odds that it all happens like 
coincidentally same at the same week. same week and they're not connected i fucking knew the vibes were off last monday i just knew you need to sage your house <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then yeah so all this stuff happens and what's going on in, the, in ukraine <laughs> like the vibes were off they yeah. were just off i knew it and then you had to go to the er so I know I my mom was my mom said something to me about like oh you must be psychic because because oh because I joked with her I was like you know before I left the keys I thought to myself you know maybe something will happen to me where I end up in the ER at home and I'll get all the answers that I need and like oh my god it happened (laughs) (laughs) so and so she's like you must be psychic and I was like mom I really hope I'm not psychic because I have a lot of bad thoughts that right I don't coming true. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, at least they figured it out and you're getting put on the right antibiotics, maybe. Hopefully. I mean, they definitely pumped me full of antibiotics yesterday, so (laughs) all good. there. And it seems to be working because I broke my fever in the middle of the night. So, yeah, Yeah. I think I'm all good. And now you're here recording with me anyway. And I gave you the option to record a different day if you wanted to. Yeah, I was like, no, really, I think I'll be okay. I was like, unless something changes and I feel like super tired or I can't do it. Yeah. I'll be okay. I mean, that's what I told my boss yesterday too. And I was like, I have my laptop. I can work from home because I had a feeling I'd feel like decent enough to sit on the couch and answer emails. Right. Yeah. Do that. Um, I might have to take, and I told her, I was like, depending on how I feel, like I might be spotty. Cause it's like, I might, you know, work for a couple hours and then take a nap for an hour and like, you know, just kind of have yeah, rotation, yeah. but, um, yeah, no, I feel a lot better today when <laughs> I woke up, I woke up this morning and like in a pile of like, not a pile, but like, you know, when you break a fever and like your sheets are just wet. Oh, yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so gross. So I, that's like how I woke up. And then also like the, um, sleep clothes that I brought, I only brought a pair of sleep clothes because I was traveling light. So I was only going to be home for like two or three nights. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's fine. I was like for the same ones. And then it's okay. If I need to wash them, I'm at my parents. I'll just wash them. Um, but now I'm here for a week. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I'm like, damn, I like sweated through all this stuff. I need to like do so much laundry today. <laughs> Oh yeah, but I felt so good. I just like woke up, took a shower and started some laundry and yeah. And then I did a little bit of work today. And then when I went to go submit my timesheet, I saw that my boss had already gone in there and put two sick days in for me. So I was like, oh, I guess I really don't need to work today if you're the time off. But I mean, we're a month away, a month and a half away from Ocean Fest. So I kind of feel like I need to, I don't know, kind of try a little bit on some things regarding that so um you just you just need to chill you need to take it easy I mean I the stuff that I did today was really just creative stuff I was like content planning Mm -hmm. for tomorrow's world seagrass day Ooh, and so I was getting some content together for world seagrass day Mm -hmm. and in my search for it come to find out one of our scientists who is the ocean acidification program manager she conducted a study I think it was like in 2018 and it um supports the thought I or the previous research or I forget the wording of it but um 
that seagrasses help coral reefs by taking in the carbon that helps cause ocean acidification. Mm-hmm. If I have that correct, I'm remembering that correct. Um, so that's going to be my little tie-in for our coral reef page is, oh, happy World Seagrass Day. Come to find out. Like, <laughs> they can help coral reefs too. Here's like this, you know, article about what this yeah. did. And then just kind of have some stuff going on in the stories and everything. Mm-hmm. Come to find out there is 60, spe- 60, 60 species of seagrasses in the world. And seven of them are in Florida and three of them are in the Keys. There you go. So, yeah. yeah. The only ones I know are, are turtle grass and eel grass. So that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the only one I actually know. <laughs> yeah. I only know turtle grass and manatee grass. Yeah. <laughs> but that's cool, though. Sea turtles eat turtle grass and manatees eat manatee grass. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is how seagrass morphology works. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, needless to say, the stuff that I did today was just more creative and not really yeah. mentally draining so it didn't feel that bad it's the fun stuff yeah i this week am wrapping up a huge chunk of the lab work for a project that i've been doing for three years i still have some more lab work to go but it's a different part of it and it's not as much work so it's like the ending of an era this week which is really weird for me yeah. in the lab um so i like processed my last specimen today oh for this project so so it's been kind of um how'd that one go did you have a celebratory like moment before you processed your last one <laughs> <laughs> i just like took it in and like made a mental note of it and sat it down and, and just was like okay you know this feels great was, <laughs> yeah, because I was kind of by myself today, but um, yeah, it was just one of those little. Was it a flounder or a shrimp? It was a shrimp. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was a shrimpy. Um, but yeah, so that's that's been, and I, but I still have a long way to go to wrap that project up because I, you know, I have to write a manuscript, which is oh. like half written, but I have to do like the data analysis part of it, right? Mm-hmm. The hard part. Yeah. So um that's kind of where i'm at and i still have to do that part of the lab work um but i'm done processing my samples essentially that's good i know yeah so that's kind of what i've been doing lately sounds like Um, a fun time (laughs) yeah so uh what's been going on in the world Haley? other than apparently what's happening in the ukraine (laughs) um come to find out there had been a mudslide in brazil that has killed more than 90 people and there are dozens still missing oh my god (laughs) yeah that happened um february 17th so about Mm -hmm. 11 days ago yeah i know there's a lot of rain going on in the southern hemisphere like australia i think queensland and brisbane are getting like completely dumped on as well and like having major like once in a lifetime flooding event which i'm just like how many more these once in a lifetime events are we all gonna have like i'm done i saw a meme today and it was like it was that matthew mcconaughey scene and i forget what movie it's from but it's like him like sucking on a cigarette like inhaling a cigarette Mm -hmm. and his eyes are like bug-eyed like he's like definitely like worried about something Mm -hmm. and um or stressed about something and (laughs) 
above it says millennials when they live through their like fifth unprecedented event, unprecedented <laughs> event in, a, in like X amount of years or whatever. <laughs> just like, yeah, can we stop? Can we stop living through unprecedented events? I don't want to be the next greatest generation. I respect them entirely, absolutely, for all the stuff that they had to go through, and but I don't, I don't want to have to go through it. Is that why they're <laughs> called the Greatest Generation? Yeah. Wait, yeah. I'm googling it right now. Because they did like what the Great Depression and World War II, and I think maybe a pandemic or two. I don't know. The Greatest Generation, also known as the GI Generation, yeah, and the World War II Generation, is the demographic cohort following the Lost Generation and preceding the Silent Generation. Wow, why are all their nicknames for generation? <laughs> the generation is generally defined as people born from 1901 to 1927. Wait, Wikipedia, tell me more. They were shaped by the Great Depression and were primary participants in World War II. But oh, right. Also, question hmm. who was the lost generation why were they called the lost generation that was the folks from world war one that participated in world war one because they had a lot of um mental health issues following that i believe that's why yeah it says right here lost generation was a social generational cohort that was in early adulthood during World War One, quote unquote, lost in this context refers to the disoriented, wandering, directionless spirit of many of the war survivors in the early post-war period. Yeah, because a lot of them had PTSD and then were not like treated in any way for any of it. Plus, that war was just awful in and of itself. The like lost it generation was also heavily vulnerable to the Spanish flu pandemic and became mm -hmm. the driving force behind many cultural changes, particularly in major cities during what became known as the Roaring Twenties. Well, God damn it, are we in the Roaring Twenties again? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's my thing. I'm like, let's not. I don't want to do and that. And I feel a little lost, so maybe. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We're getting sidetracked. We are, but I am very distracted. I'm going <laughs> to... All right. <laughs> um, yeah, so Brazil, I guess it was on February 17th at uh, 3.10 in the morning. That's when this article was published. So I'm assuming it's around that time frame. In Petropolis, Brazil, um, it says that Rio de Janeiro's state government has confirmed 94 deaths from floods and mudslides that swept away homes and cars in the city of Petropolis. But even as families prepared to bury their dead, it was unclear Thursday how many bodies remained trapped in the mud. <clears throat> the mayor didn't even offer an estimate for the number of people missing with recovery efforts still ongoing. He said that they don't know the full scale of this yet, and it was a difficult day. Um, more than 24 hours after the deadly mudslide occurred, uh, survivors were digging to find lost loved ones. Uh, the public prosecutor's office said in a statement Wednesday that it had compiled a list of 35 people yet to be located. There's footage that just showed the uh, terrible effects of the mudslide, like dragging cars and houses through the streets, water swirling through so the city. Scary. <clears throat> Honestly, very much like reminding me of Armero. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, yes, that's. Yeah, that's very much the vibes I'm getting from this as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously less fatalities, but 
like still just the not knowing, you know, where these people are because they're buried under mud. And mm-hmm. I've mentioned before that like I get very claustrophobic when I'm tramping through mud um, because it's you know like vision myself getting sucked under. Yes, this freaks me out. Of course, that's what I did my thesis on was freaking like marsh fish <laughs> so you have to go out there and the muddy natty tonight oh god that's right but um yeah that's just really scary and I, it's just you know a symptom of all of the effects of climate change mm-hmm. in many ways um just because you know they're getting unprecedented levels of rain there which you know contributes to mudslide and the more deforestation that happens the more likely you are to have erosion on that scale and have mudslides happen and something we have to worry about in california too yeah uh but it it does say here that the city has been a refuge for people escaping the summer heat and tourists keen to explore the so-called quote-unquote imperial city so you can only imagine that it's been developed and has deforestation there Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like a summer destination almost or like a vacation spot it seems like it it also says that its prosperity has also drawn poorer residents from rio's poorer regions its population grew haphazardly uh, climbing mountain sides now covered with small residences packed tightly together. Many mm. are in areas unfit for structure and made more vulnerable by deforestation <sighs> and inadequate drainage. So there you go. It's almost like I got a degree. In yeah, it's almost like you know like something. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been on the guessing game today, which is funny because I told you when we started that I've been kind of a space cadet. Yeah. Um, Even though you're gosh. a space cadet, though, you're still smart down in the deep <laughs> of your brain. So it's not like you're dumb. You should go on Jeopardy. Have you thought about being on Jeopardy? No, because I only really know things about things I, I that I'm really passionate about. Like, I don't yeah. know pop culture stuff or yeah. sports stuff. Like, I don't give a shit about sports, so I'm not going to be able to answer any. But, like, yeah. if, if I could stick strictly to, like, science, uh, history, and, um, uh, like, geography, I think I'd be all right. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> But like, there's a lot of categories, like movies as another one that I like movies, but I don't like retain those facts. Like me like to name a, uh, like an actor or the director yeah. or what year it was made in, because I'm going to get all of that wrong. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't care about any of that either. <laughs> so yeah. So, but it's funny because there's some things that I'm very on the money about. Oh, true crime is another one now for me, but True, yeah. yeah but like yeah don't ask me like who won the world series in 1999 because i don't fucking know <laughs> like i i don't know, <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> um but anyway all right well um is there anything else to talk about before we jump in um let's just read the rest of this article okay sure. uh because yeah there's just a little bit more here but it says that the fire department said that just over 10 inches of rain fell for three hours uh, almost as much as during the previous 30 days combined so it was a lot of rain for them yeah 
The rains were the worst that that city has seen since 1932. There you go. So very much a uh, 100 year, mm-hmm. almost 100 year cycle. Yeah. Which, ironically, that's what I've noticed with pandemics. It's pretty much like 100 years on the dot. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> like pandemics for the past couple hundred years. Yeah. So. Because the last really bad one was the flu. flu. The yeah, it was about 100 flu, years ago, yeah. Which was 1918, I think. Mm-hmm. Which is... About 100 years ago. <laughs> yep. So uh, here we are again, dealing with this, and dealing with potential... <laughs> My brother, as soon as the uh, Ukraine conflict started, texted me, and he was basically like, yeah, we're just... Uh, doing a speed run through the greatest generation <laughs> like, like right pandemic check world war three check, check. <laughs> like, what's Honestly, next like, i was just thinking i was like i should google what happened like 100 years ago so i can prepare myself oh for whatever what years it has in store for us and honestly like we're not laughing because it's funny we're laughing because there's literally like what else are we supposed to do what are we supposed to do you can only laugh to keep from literally falling apart and Mm -hmm. we all have to go on to work and deal with our freaking houses that are also falling apart and it's just it's a lot it's heavy it's a very heavy time so we're gonna go somewhere else today we're gonna go somewhere else where are we going um we're gonna go to somewhere that is not governed by anybody oh that's interesting um we are going to one of my favorite places on the planet that i wish i could go to antarctica oh your favorite place (laughs) (laughs) so we did obviously and continue to reference the Ernest shackleton episodes which I think were episodes three and four, like very early on in the podcast, because it's like one of my very favorite stories. But there was so much exploration that was going on in this time. And the fact that like, they were not connected to the outside world there at all. And so yeah. literally, if anything happened to you, you, you were fucking on your own. Yeah. So there's a lot of eating like, leather shoes, eating leather shoes, <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> just struggling struggling hardcore um so like there's a ton of other stories that i kind of have on the books of this like particular point in time because nowadays it's a lot safer if you go there obviously it's not you know 100 percent safe but we have communications with like all the scientists and bases and stuff down in antarctica yeah so anyway um so we're gonna get into this story the story of douglas mawson and his lone antarctic survival story so i'm gonna pull ahead in the photos (laughs) yeah so uh, if you want to see the uh man we're talking about today the beautiful beautiful man i don't know why you captioned it two dashing portraits of our boy douglas mawson (laughs) i i have such a crush on this guy i and like I wouldn't say that he's like the hottest person I've ever seen, but he's just got this like kind of je ne sais quoi, you know, that I'm just like vibing with. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's handsome. I think he's very handsome. He's also, handsome. 
the left photo that you have here. I think the right one, it looks a little bit more aged just because it's like more yeah. sepia toned. Yeah, definitely. But like he looks like an, a dashing gentleman. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. clean cut. Also, he's Australian. <laughs> so, you know, he's got a great accent. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So let's get into a boy, Doug, Dougie. <laughs> Dougie boy. We were talking about Ernie, Ernie Shackleton, and we're going to talk about Dougie. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, all right. So many of our stories of polar exploration during the great heroic age of Antarctic exploration involve conquering, discovering, reaching great heights and possibly difficult locations, and generally just striving to be one of the first to do anything. But a lot of this period was marked by other men besides the big three of Robert Falcon Scott, Roald Admanson, who we'll talk about in a later episode, and then Ernest Shackleton, who was obviously one of my very favorites. Um, and they were generally like the big three explorers on the continent that, you know, if anyone knows anything about polar exploration, they've heard of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, but other men had scientific interests in the continent outside of what the European powers wanted to exploit. Um, you know, for resources and just for bragging rights. Um, Many men strove to be some of the first to view some of these remoter regions, and many just wanted to understand the environment and the geology of the strange continent. Um, Many of these men stayed over both summer and winter in order to take meteorological data and map the continent, which was largely unknown during this time. And this was very much a thankless job and a very monotonous job if you weren't fighting for your life. So due to this interest in science mapping and understanding this understanding this terra incognito, a young geologist and lesser known expedition leader, Douglas Mawson, found himself in a very precarious situation, all alone with dwindling supplies and hundreds of miles from his base camp in one of the most remote parts of the southern continent. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. So we already talked about our boy Dougie, what he looks like. Mm-hmm. He's he's a very he's got very refined features. He's kind of lanky. Uh looks like he would be blonde, but it is black and white. Yeah, photo. he does look like he would be blonde, I will say that. Yeah. And he, he's got nice, intense eyes, but or like light brown hair. Yeah. Yeah. So he's 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 a looker. He's he's a good looker to me anyway. Um, <laughs> I think it's his hairline that's throwing me off. The hairline is a bit, yeah. But I mean, this is, these are pictures of him when he's getting into his um, 30s anyway. Gotcha. Yeah. But yes, he does have a very steep widow's peak. <laughs> Sometimes you got to look past things, Haley. <laughs> no, you're right. You're completely right. I'm just like, I think it really is the, the, the hairline that's throwing me off. <laughs> So uh, Douglas Mawson was born in England in 1882 to Robert Ellis Mawson and Margaret Ann Moore. Um, but after, but two years after his birth, his family immigrated to Sydney, Australia. Um, he received a Bachelor of Engineering at the University of Sydney and was appointed as a geologist on an expedition to the New Hebrides, which is now Vanuatu um, in 1903. And Vanuatu is a uh, group of pacific islands so like just think like south pacific um 
And that was basically his first foray into exploration. Um, later, he taught classes at the University of Adelaide in 1905, including petrology and mineralogy. Hmm. This would lead him into his Antarctic career when Ernest Shackleton, our boy Ernie, invited him on the Nimrod expedition in 1907. Um, Mawson originally was only supposed to stay over the first summer, but stayed on and became part of the first party ever to summit the volcano Mount Erebus, um, which is actually the same volcano of which Sir Franklin's ship got his name from, um, our intrepid group of explorers that disappeared up in the uh in the uh northern pole um that we talked about yes there may or may not have been cannibalism involved in that one (laughs) so it's interesting i i just included all that to kind of show how intertwined all of the polar exploration stories really are with each other and how each of them kind of have nods to the other which is interesting Mm -hmm. Um, because there's a very small contingent of people who are interested in doing this kind of work <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. So the other um, thing that Mawson did while he was on the Nimrod expedition with Shackleton was he was w- one of the first in a three-man party to reach Earth's magnetic pole, not the oh. South Pole, but the magnetic South Pole. Interesting. So the magnetic south pole is the location in which the geomagnetic magnetic field lines are directed vertically upwards and is the true pole of the magnetic field of the southern hemisphere, whereas the geographic south pole is literally where all of the latitude lines connect. So they're actually different. I'm Googling it right now so I can it's get a visual. <laughs> really weird. And then uh, magnetic south pole actually moves every year huh a little bit so it's not in the same spot all the time that's interesting so it's literally you know where your magnetic is your your uh compass is always pointing to is really the magnetic pole and not true north or true south southern magnetic pole but not the geographic south pole Um, so the geographic south pole had yet to be quote unquote discovered or reached by explorers at that point right um and it's simply where uh the long longitudinal lines converge and is the true geographic south of the planet and there's a whole nother story about what it took to actually reach the south pole um in and of itself which will i want to cover at some point but it is not that day <laughs> so essentially the geographic north and south poles are like the the pin on the top and the bottom of the earth yes and the magnetic poles are like a little bit askew yes from Bec- yeah poles. because um, it's it's the pole of our the earth's magnetic field field yeah uh, that makes sense. and then that would make sense why it shifts every year too because it rotates so it's being pulled while it's mm-hmm. rotating yeah and that's why you get the aurora uh borealis and aurora australis is because the magnetic poles are, are in the northern southern hemisphere and the way that the atmosphere interacts with the magnetic field creates the light that you see in an aurora cool so anyway 
We're learning new things. I've, <laughs> I always, wanted to, I've always wanted to see the auroras. Oh, the northern lights. I've always wanted to see yeah, the northern lights. I have too. I, I would love to see them someday. We'll see. But yeah, so he did some cool stuff, um, you know, and and has some street cred even before like he went on to do the story we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Um, so while famous explorers like Robert Falcon Scott of Great Britain and Roald Odmundson of Norway were racing to the geographic South Pole, Mawson instead decided to embark on his own expedition called the Australia, oh gosh, Australasian Antarctic Expedition of 1911. That's a mouthful. Yes. <laughs> Scott had actually asked Mawson to join um, his ill-fated expedition, but Mawson turned him down to lead an expedition of his own. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, Robert Falcon Scott and Roald Admonson essentially had a space race to the South Pole. You know how yeah. we had a space race with Russia to get to the moon? Yeah. It, they did that to the South Pole, and Scott and his team perished on their way back. Oh. So, yeah, so that's a- <laughs> so Mawson was asked to join that expedition and he turned it down, which I think maybe was for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but so because of this, Mawson is not as well known as his counterparts, Scott and Shackleton, likely because he was Australian um, and was also uninterested in fighting for the South Pole. Um, Instead, he urged to explore land never seen before by human eyes, as well as study the continent through a scientific eye, which is why I'm interested in him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the plan for the Australasian Antarctic expedition was to explore a section of the Antarctic coast that lay south of Australia, which had not really been explored by previous parties and would fill in a colossal blank in the map of Antarctica that hadn't been charted yet. Um, The plan was to establish two bases, a main base and the Western base to complete this task. Um, Malson, who was still in his twenties at the time, began planning the expedition and managed to raise about um, uh, $16.7 million in today's money or 10 million pounds. Yeah. Um, And he did it in one year uh from the australian and british governments he also got funding from businessmen who were interested in mining and whaling in the region which just goes to show you that science has always been funded by resource exploitation (laughs) interests that's fair i mean i work in fisheries so i know it better than most (laughs) yep um so Finding an actual landing spot for the ship took months, however, because most of this part of Antarctica, this area of Antarctica, the coastline is extremely um, difficult to land because it has really high cliffs um, that make accessing the coast from the water really hard. Um, The ship called the Aurora left for the expedition on July 28th, 1911 with um, 27 main expedition members and 48 sled dogs. 
Um, expedition members included photographer Frank Hurley and Frank Wilde, who would later go on to survive Shackleton's fateful expedition um, as they were key players. And Frank Hurley was the one who captured a lot of those really cool photos um, mm -hmm. for the Shackleton expedition. Um, so it's all, all intertwined. <laughs> um, after many months of searching, the expedition found a small rocky section of shoreline um, called Commonwealth Bay on January 8th um, of 1912. So it took them like literal like six months to find even a spot to land <laughs> to start the expedition. Um, here they established the main Cape Denison base, uh, which is what they called the area. Um, and this was literally a wooden meteorological station that was a little more than a large hut with bunks and a central common area, um, which you can see in our photos. Mm -hmm. um, you can see all of the bros kind of huddled up together, um, surrounded by bunks. And it, it was a mildly claustrophobic situation it like it yeah and they would be kind of confined in there for you know potentially weeks at a time because this area of the coast had an avril an an bleh, annual average wind speed of 80 kilometers per hour Jesus. which <laughs> which made work in the area extremely dangerous you can imagine yeah or at the very least uncomfortable especially in the winter time um and the guinness book of world records still regards this section of the coast as the windiest on earth oh my god so um you can kind of see what the conditions were like in those photos can we talk about the photo beneath that photo when we yeah. get to it <laughs> no we're we're at it baby we're at it right now perfect because that one's weirding me out <laughs> I know I had to like put the caption, don't worry, he's alive on there so you wouldn't how freak is, out. How is he alive in there? Because I mean, though the, you can break it off. It's not like it's on his face. So explain what you're looking at. It's literally, okay, a person that has their hood up and like you can't see their face because there's like this sheet of ice on top of them. Mm -hmm. And apparently it's called an ice mask. Yes. So that's like, <laughs> yeah. So when it's so, so cold, basically all of the moisture that you're breathing out of your body just freezes immediately. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, you know, and they just took that picture and be like, Oh, look at this shit. Isn't this crazy? And I'm sure they chipped him out and he was fine. Pretty much what's happening today. Like, you know, someone's in trouble. Yeah. They film it for a hot second first. And they're like, all right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, if he was in immediate danger, they would not have taken that photo or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then they describe the picture next to that one. You, you can definitely tell there's some 80 kilometer winds going on in that photo. <laughs> <laughs> they are like literally that scene from spongebob where they're like trying to get the crusty crab pizza delivered <laughs> <laughs> and they're just trucking through the wind crawling on the ground you can see the ice pick in the other guy's hand like 
Crusty <laughs> that's like that's the best description i think you've ever done on this show um so yeah it wasn't ideal conditions um that'd be really annoying if you had to constantly be chipping up ice off of your face i'm just saying um but while they passed the winter um, before they could go off on their separate little expeditions during the summer, um, Malson became well liked by the men for being a strong, decisive leader who hated idleness, but had a lot of charm and would give and seek advice from his men, which was not um, was pretty atypical of a lot of expedition leaders of the time um, being that congenial, I guess, with um, his men. So once winter thawed out um they could all start going on their mapping and surveying expeditions of the coast um and the plan was to kind of um do this in separate parties and not all go together um so mawson was now 30 years old and set off with a small party from the cape denison hut to survey a 300 mile stretch of the coast on november 10th uh 1912 as part of their goal to scientifically study this unmapped portion of the Antarctic coastline. Um, he had two younger companions, uh, Xavier Mertz, who was a 29 year old Swiss mountaineer and Olympic ski champion. Oh, wow. So he had a lot going on. Um, and then Lieutenant Belgrave Ninnis was, he was a 25 year old um, British army officer. Ninnis was, I know, and you can see in the picture um, uh, on page three, uh, Xavier Mertz and Belgrave Ninnis. Um, And uh, Ninnis was well-liked but called Cherub by the crew because he was so young and had a baby face, which he does. and looked, and they said it looked like he had more boxes of beautiful clothes than seemed possible for one mere man. So he was a flashy dresser. <laughs> um, Xavier was known as X and was much admired for his skill on skis, for his sense of humor, and for apparently being able to make a mean penguin egg omelet. Interesting. I would absolutely try. Me too. I mean, eggs are eggs, man. I love me. I love me a good omelet, or uh, definitely like a good scramble, like a potato and scrambled like a egg. Hash. Yeah, Did like a hash. Know? Yeah, Ew. I'd be into that. I'm big on the breakfast potatoes. Mm-hmm. Or like a breakfast sandwich. I mm-hmm. always, always like with sausage. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Chef's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they also had 17 sled dogs and three sledges with rations for both men and the dogs, two tents, sleeping bags, cold weather gear, tool and tools, etc. Um, and they had the tools basically to fix the sledges or anything out there because they'd be absolutely alone out there. So they would be battling through frequent blizzards and crossing two large glaciers totaling 600 miles of travel on dog sleds. Wow. Which I'm like, go I'm really off, so I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I'm escaping 
the dog name that brought the balto balto is one of them but it was actually the other one that did most of the legwork and they made another movie about that one i know uh, what you're talking Kira? about the togo human. togo that was the one yeah because didn't he like actually do the damn thing yeah so i'm gonna read a little from wikipedia real quick Go togo was the lead sled dog of musher leonard seppala and his dog sled team in the 1925 serum run to Nome across central and northern Alaska, despite covering a far greater distance than any other lead dogs on the run over some of the most dangerous parts of the trail, his role was left out of ooh, his role was left out of contemporary news of the event at the time in favor of the lead dog for the last leg of the relay, who was Balto, right? Whom Sepala also owned and had bred. So. Togo was the one that did the most distance. Balto was the dog that finished the relay. Yes. Yes. I do remember that. And also, I love the animated movie. And I yes. won't stop loving the animated movie. I will give fair warning for anybody listening to this episode. If you don't want to hear about animal death, don't, don't listen oh, to this one. God damn it. <laughs> Fair warning. This isn't an Arctic survival episode. They're gonna, sled dogs are gonna die, unfortunately. It's just how it goes. Um, yeah, I feel like that's pretty on par. Yeah, because I, I mean, there's really nothing to eat out there. So, yeah, situations happen. Um, but anyway, so, you know, just fair warning. And I think it's a valid warning. So, anyway, um, the, Last photo on slide three um, is the picture of Mawson, Mertz, and Ninnis um, leaving Cape Denison together. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the last photo taken of the three of them together. Oh, womp, womp, womp. Something bad has to happen. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that is the whole premise yeah, right. <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> um, so while the three started off in good spirits, they began to slump after weeks of intense exertion in order to reach their goal. They were frequented with bad weather and forced to take shelter in their tents for several days at a time, which can you imagine having to just hang out in a tent for days? God, no. Because it's a whiteout outside. Like <laughs> I'd be so cold and miserable. I'd be so bored, too. And bored. Oh, my God. Like what did you, and it was you know 1900s. It's not even like you could play a game on your phone. You know. What I know. I, mean? I was just thinking what I would do, and I was like, honestly, I might try to like sing some songs and like be better at singing. Just like myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like I I would go insane. So good weather days meant a hard journey over rough terrain, however, um, and icy ridges. Uh, during this time, they crossed two glaciers which had dangerous seracs and crevices that could crush them or send them plummeting to their death if they weren't careful. Um, in fact, they often broke through the crevasses due to the fact that the crevasses were sometimes covered by lids or a thin layer of snow blown over them during storms that froze into a thin layer of ice. So they were like literally cheating death at every turn. All the time. Like I... <laughs> So I actually read a book for this one called Alone on the Ice. 
Oh, yeah. Um, and, like, I kind of skimmed through it and reread it a little bit to write this episode. And uh, every, like, two pages or so, I'd be like, oh, we broke through the ice again. Or we <laughs> broke through a crevasse again. But thankfully, we were able to, you know, pull the sledge up and the sled dogs were fine. And blah. blah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so it happened a lot. <laughs> it happens a lot. Um so they were able to recover all the dogs and sledges. Um, however, when this happened a first few times due to Mawson's allocation of supplies and weight um, on the two sledges. Um, so they had to like kind of reorganize all of their supplies. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll kind of explain Mawson's plan of like how to deal with this in a little bit. Um, so Mertz wrote about the barren plateau. This area seems to have been forgotten by God. So that's kind of nice. What it is, I'm sure, is very icy, very white, no animals to be seen. Yeah. Like just forgotten by God. <laughs> like the surface of the moon, essentially. Yeah. Um none of those animals made it onto the ark. No. <laughs> In reality, what happened was um, mm. there were a lot of animals in Antarctica, but because it moved down south um, into the South Pole, it got really fucking cold and all those animals died out except for penguins. Oh. <laughs> That's actually what happened to the Antarctic continent, but they used to be more like full of marsupials like Australia's. Interesting. But the penguins are the only ones who made it out. So that's why there's no terrestrial animals on Antarctica. Fun fact. The more you know. The more you know. Um, so the plan was to have Mertz scout in front looking for dangers while Mawson handled the two sledges together. Um, and Ninnis would handle the third sledge, which was overloaded, bearing the majority of the food and supplies. The thought was that this would wear out the third sledge, but save the other two um, from as much wear and tear. Um, so when all the food on the heavy sledge was eaten, they would just abandon it so they didn't have to pull it along behind them. That's fair. Yeah. Um, didn't they have like harvested the wood for like fire though? Yeah, potentially. And they they may have, you know, before they ultimately abandoned it. Yeah. Um, but that was the general plan so that they weren't lugging so much weight and, and yeah. wasting, you know, so much body energy. Um, the goal was to turn around by the date of December 19th in order to make it back to the base for the ultimate cutoff date of January 15th as their ship, the Aurora, would be forced to leave to avoid the terrible winter weather. Um, so that was like their hard cutoff date. Yeah. And if they uh, didn't return, they would be forced to overwinter in the Denison hut until the Aurora could come retrieve them the following summer. So Jesus. they'd be there for several more months. They would have supplies um, and whatnot, but they would just be hanging out in a hut. <laughs> Oh my god. That um, so obviously they didn't want to do that, but like it wouldn't be the end absolute end of the world if they had right. to. This is a not ideal situation. Exactly. 
Um, so on the 14th of December, the team was crossing an ice field, thinking the worst of the crevasses were behind them. Mawson directed the men to load the third sledge with an additional 50 pounds of weight, carrying essentially all of the dog food and human rations and essential gear and the largest tent. So everything important was on the sledge. The plan was for Ninnis to command it, taking up the rear, as this was the vital sledge, and it would be better to lose the first two sledges, which were not as loaded, to a crevasse. Because um, if they went across the crevasse first and they fell through, then they would know that. Right. Right. It makes sense. It does. It does. So um, what happened? Because I feel like something that doesn't make sense happened. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Mawson said this morning, uh, we were a happy party that morning and we reveled in the sunshine and laid plans for a final dash eastwards before turning our faces homewards. Mawson diary stated about that day. They crossed a snow covered crevasse that did not look particularly dangerous and they had done this many times before by now it was routine. Um, they kind of knew how to tell, you know, the thickness of the ice by maybe mm -hmm. the color or things like that and felt that it was safe enough. And reminding you, they've done this so many times before at yeah. this point. Um, but uh, when Mawson looked back at Ninnis and the sledge, they were gone. Oh. Um, so Ninnis and the six strongest dogs fell to their death in a chasm hundreds of feet deep along with the majority of oh, the supplies. my God, that is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and in they probably didn't think it was like too bad for the first two sledges, but they didn't think about the weight of the third one. Right, right. And there's actually some theories as to what happened, but it's like a toss up between, do you make them all equal and just hope that some of them make it over? Do you like, there's like, you know that you put the heaviest one in the back and you didn't want to watch this guy die yeah <laughs> it's like there's definitely a game being played every time you go over one of these things yeah and it's just like they don't really have a choice um yeah. with this kind of exploration uh so mawson and mertz called out and waited around the crevasse for hours but the only sign of the sledge was a lone dog on an ice sledge who was oh, crying puppy. because he was severely injured so they oh. put him down to put him out of his misery stop it i know but they could not hear or see anything else in the crevasse so they don't know i mean ultimately all of those individuals it's so far down yeah died there's yeah. no way um mawson later hypothesized hypothesized that it was because Ninnis was walking alongside the sledge and not riding on it and the pinpoint uh. pressure from his body and boots may have been enough to cause the snow bridge to collapse. How would he know he was walking beside it if he was in front of him the whole time? Well, he probably looked back at him or, you know, saw him before, you know, He's starting gone. on. So which I, I get that because like with the more direct, like smaller, but more intense pressure points, basically like it's a, like the concept of snowshoes, right? Right. So if you have more surface area underneath your feet, you're not going to sink in the snow. 
Yeah. That's the whole point of snowshoes. If you're just walking with your feet that have less surface area, then you're just going to sink right down into the snow. So I think that's kind of the concept that they're getting at with that one, which just good things to know if you're ever walking around on a glacier, I guess. (laughs) Um, This accident left Mawson and Mertz with only 10 days of food for a journey that would take over a month to get back to Cape Denison. Oh, God. So that was a heavy sledge. Yes, it had everything on it, pretty much. Yeah, that's dumb. Um, Both Mertz and Mawson were completely shocked and horrified. Mawson writing in his diary, at 4 a.m., we were on the way back, but without our friend Ninnis. Our dear old Ninnis is dead. So they were very distraught over what had happened, but they were 300 miles in the middle of nowhere they had to get themselves out yeah. no no one was going to come for them yeah that's so, very fair mm-hmm. so uh they still had sleeping bags which is good that is good um and they managed to jury rig a tent out of a tent cover that they had on the two remaining sledges um and that first night they made a boiled soup from the residue on the inside of the food bag and that is all they ate for dinner that night um to try to start rationing and conserving food um all of the dog food by the way was in the bottom of their crevasse they had no food for the dogs oh no so they began feeding the dogs bare leather and rawhide items that they had and were able to discard and then that night they sledged through the night for a total of 24 miles over five hours oh my god this sounds like a disaster it sounds like a terrible nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> because not only are you without supplies, you are so isolated mm-hmm. and still having to deal with extreme cold, which can definitely turn you into a little furnace and you need more food to feed that furnace and they don't yeah. have it. So Mawson severely rationed the food. And unfortunately, they began to kill and eat the six huskies that they had left um and the dogs were dying anyway because they didn't have any food themselves either so it was basically uh you know it was try to get somebody out of here kind of situation right unfortunately so they chose to eat the best bits i.e the livers and organs for themselves because they had the most nutrients um and then would feed the rest of the dogs to the other dogs which dogs don't they don't care about cannibalism they'll do it you know it's they don't have the same you know moral issues as we do i don't think um in that same way but that's kind of the situation they found themselves in um so they had began killing the dogs on december 15th as they continued their 300 mile trip back to the camp The dogs just became dropping from exhaustion, causing the men to put in more energy themselves to pull the sledges as well. Their daily rations, the men themselves, consisted of six ounces of their sledging rations, supplemented with some dog meat and a small portion of pemmican, which is a mix of dried meat, berries, and fat. 
which is used in far northern regions as like a nutrient dense food um, oh, but they wow, okay. really didn't have much um and they would boil all of that as a soup um and that's all they would eat per day god um so the dog carcasses were then fed to the dogs by the 23rd of december they had made 115 miles back on their own um, to the final destination unknown to them however eating the dog liver was starting to make them sick oh no uh-huh um on 20 on december 28th um the last dog ginger died and they consumed her oh ginger i know r.i.p this one is i told you it's gonna be a rough one oh it makes i'm gonna go hug my puppy when this is all done Just... i know i'm like not even around my puppy now and i'm like, like no <laughs> we win i was watching him on the nest camera earlier because i was like missing him and i was like oh but yeah i'll be home yeah. soon yeah but the these polar expert expeditions this happens a lot um unfortunately this one i have gone into the most detail about because i think it's necessary to tell the story um but yeah and some of our other ones like shackleton for example they killed all of those dogs as well to survive golly um okay so on the 30th of december mawson wrote um xavier is off color we did 15 miles halting at 9 a.m he turned in all of his things very wet the continuous drift does not give one a chance to dry a thing and our gear is deplorable the tent has dripped terrible and is all caked with ice um and so this is where we start to see some of their symptoms of their sickness from eating the dog liver okay um so if you are weak of stomach <laughs> you might want to skip forward a minute <laughs> um and it's this time it's not scurvy hey uh, it's not scurvy this time it's something else <laughs> what like some sort of poisoning from kind of kind of yes um so the symptoms were their skin started to fall off in sensitive areas where there was a what? lot of friction yes yes what yes how does that happen <laughs> that is so gross it's the constant rubbing of like yeah, if you're walking creates, like, the sores yes so it's only in sensitive like areas where they were already like rubbing yeah you know how you can sometimes get um like a rash or a sore or something yeah. like or a uh, chub rub yeah <laughs> <laughs> So it's in those kinds of areas. Yes. Um, so that was happening. Um, they also suffered stomach pains and diarrhea, which bitch Not same. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> um Mertz, who was an Olympic skier, so this guy was like tip-top shape, was suffering badly and was starting to decline in energy and health significantly. Um he was losing skin on his legs and had frostbitten fingers and was unable to even eat the sledging rations um, and had completely stopped eating the dog. Oh, my God. By January 5th, Mertz could no longer physically continue. 
Uh, Mawson tried putting him on the sled. However, even on the sledge, he was too cold to continue. So oh, they no. were forced to stop for days. And remember, oh, no. they have the January 15th cutoff deadline. Yeah. The ship is leaving. Um, so by January 7th, 1912, Mertz, so that's, what, eight days away from their uh-huh. deadline? And they're still like a hundred miles away. So yeah, that's they're not making it. No. <laughs> uh, so Mertz was having fits and was delirious, incontinent, and very weak. Um, by 2 a.m. on the morning of the 8th, he died. Oh. Ma- yeah. Mawson buried Mertz by piling snow around his body in his sleeping bag and creating a cross from a discarded sledge runner. Oh, that was nice of him. Yeah, I, there's nothing else he could do, you yeah. know. Um, in 1969, a theory as to why Mertz died was introduced to the scientific community. Basically, there's all these theories about someone dying on this expedition. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, so basically, the dog livers contained high levels of vitamin A, which. Oh. If they, yeah. we have too much of that, it's toxic to us. Yeah. So they sense. were basically killing themselves by eating the dog organs. Yeah. And giving, because they would eat like the organs themselves because they were the highest in nutrient content and then give the rest to the dogs to try to keep the remaining ones alive. Yeah. So they were trying to keep as many dogs alive as they possibly could. Right. But because they themselves chose to eat the organs they were killing themselves not knowing they were doing so that's always a terrible thing i feel like that's happened before to another yeah story where it's like they didn't know what they were doing it was uh franklin the franklin expedition where they had the cans that yes. were like lead that, poison yes yes that's exactly the one i'm thinking of yeah yeah but it's like you have to eat you know yeah i know so what do you do um Oh, God. So the symptoms of this, like, excess levels of, of vitamin A include shedding of the skin, mm. muscular weakness, weight loss, damage to the central nervous system that caused fits, which Ugh. was all the stuff that Mertz was going through before he ultimately perished. That's awful. So then you wonder, like, okay, why did Mawson survive? Because he What's was doing worse, the same. or this? <laughs> yeah, so... It's thought because Mawson was Australian and therefore was used to a very high meat diet um, because they're kind of like us where they're like a steak for dinner every night, which is not Mm -hmm. really the European thing. Um, It's thought that he was able to handle it better than Mertz, who was Swiss. That's Hmm. their only, they're like, we don't really know, but that's maybe why. (laughs) That's interesting. But I mean, Mawson was like experiencing all of the minor symptoms he just wasn't like going into fits and seizures he just didn't have he had whatever but it wasn't as bad so it's it's really weird um i would say like maybe his body's better at processing all of it yeah maybe tolerating it but then yeah i don't know i mean everybody's different i mean just look at how different bodies are handling covid you know yeah I know it's a very different example, but I do think like the there's specific 
you know, aspects of an individual's health and body that like make them do better in certain health crises, yes. right? Yeah. So there are a few other competing opinions on what happened to Mertz, including like cold exposure, but this kind of continues to be the leading cause of death for, for Mertz. That's wild. So Mawson's all alone at this point. Um, it's still like a hundred miles away. So you can go to page four now and kind of get an overview of um, the timeline, really. The timeline. Um, so they were basically all the way out away from the base, 300 miles away, and that's when Ninnis died. And then they yeah. had to turn around then because they didn't have any supplies. Um, and when Ginger died, the, the last dog and Mertz died, were very close together. And then Mawson has to go back a hundred, what do you say, a hundred miles? Yeah. By himself. By himself. No supplies. Yes. And if you can see, there's the two glaciers that are jutting out into the sea. Yeah. And Mawson still has to cross one of those. That's fun. Which is where all of the crevasses are. Golly. Right. Okay. So. What happened? Okay, so Mawson had about another 100-mile stretch to go before he was at the Cape Denison base. He was also succumbing to some of the things Mertz was, including the whole skin issue. Um, skin also refusing to heal, kind of like scurvy. Um, yeah. All of the dogs were gone at this point. So he had put all of the supplies onto one sledge and was hauling it himself. God. Yeah. <laughs> He was plagued by worsening weather because it's starting to get closer to winter mm -hmm. um, and was forced several times to stop and wait out storms. Um, also, the deadline of the 15th of January. Not which, happening. <laughs> yes. Ha he had already like completely missed it. So he already knew he was going to have to overwinter if he even made it back alive. Yeah. Um, so the ship would not be able to return until after the Antarctic winter, which means Mawson could be facing eight months of darkness and storms huddled in the hut, potentially alone. Because as far as person go insane, as far as he knows, all of the other sledging parties had returned and would be getting on the boat. Yeah. And he could be the only one who's left there. Yeah for eight months oh my god dealing with the fallout from his experience do we know what happened to the other sledging parties yeah yeah oh, okay um they they all there were some that had some minor survival stories and if you read the book you can get into a little bit more of that but ultimately like they returned on time um so but there's a little twist so we'll get into that um so on January 17th, Mawson then was crossing the second glacier and fell into a crevasse himself. Oh no. His sledge was caught on the edge of the opening and he was now dangling from a harness into the crevasse. Oh my God. Uh, yes. Get out of here. And he was 14 foot feet below the sledge. He's just dang dangling there. Oh my God so that's so scary the walls of the crevasse were six feet apart so it's not like he could reach the walls either yeah um without like swinging but then he risks like having Falling. the sledge fall in right 
So Mawson would have to climb out hand over hand. Oh, God. Which I don't know about you, but I could never do that in gym class. You know, where you have to, like, climb up the rope. Yeah. (laughs) You know? No, I could never. Um, And this is a feat that would be difficult for, like, a healthy man. So he tried to haul himself out but failed just as he reached the edge of the crevasse um, because the lip of the crevasse broke. Oh no. And plunged him several meters deeper into the crevasse. Oh my God. Still dangling from the harness. Um, He felt a great despair knowing- No shit. Right? Knowing he was in for a long agonizing death and that he had no quote, antidote to speed matters up so he had no way to kill himself right so he was gonna probably die of exposure because he's not dead right but he can't get out yeah there's no way so he said about the experience i hung with the firm conviction that all was over except the passing it would be the work of a moment to slip from the harness and then all of the pain and toil would be over so he's considering just dropping himself from the harness essentially but you risk like getting severely injured but being still alive oh my god yeah that would be right so um so then he recalled a verse from his favorite poet robert robert service just have one more try it's dead easy to die it's the keeping on living that's hard which they one is kind of a line that um inspired the um theme song <laughs> oh yeah in <Fun> fact <laughs> um to the podcast i mean not directly but kind of because i was reading this book at the time yeah. um yeah at the time that i wrote the theme song for the podcast but um oh, that is a fun fact yeah so this motivated him to try one final time. Somehow this time he managed to pull himself out and this time the crevasse did not break. Good deal. He passed out for an hour. I would have too. <laughs> and woke up covered in a dusting of new snow. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so is already like forming another snow bridge over the crevasse. He managed to pitch a tent and sleep, completely exhausted by the experience. Going to bed that night, I would have been like, Holy shit. Right? <laughs> I don't even know if I would be able to sleep. <laughs> no. No. So after his fateful fall, Mawson decided to construct an alpine rope attached to the front of the sledge in case he found himself in a similar situation so that he would be able to climb the ladder out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, he had to continue to deal with crevasses, falling partially through a few more um, from January 18th through 19th, but the Alpine ladder proved a lifesaver. Um, so now that he was free of the glacier, he was making good time, but he was still weakening from the dog meat poisoning. Um, and now he had sores on his face, you know, his skin on his legs was becoming a serious issue. And the skin on the soles of his feet had actually fallen off at this point ew yeah that was the part of this whole story that got me the most because i was just like oh <laughs> like, God, no. your skin on your feet falling off it's disgusting i mean when falling off in the first place is it just freaks me out i know um 
So he wrote, uh, both my hands have shed skin in large sheets, very tender, and it is a great nuisance. Which is like, yeah, I would imagine so. <laughs> it was like the mildest way to put off my <laughs> fucking skin is falling off. It's terrifying and painful. He's like, it's a great nuisance. <laughs> Casual. <laughs> um, on January 25th, a blizzard struck, forcing him to stay in his tent until January 28th. But he was so determined because he was only about 48 miles from Cape Denison Hut, which I'm like, I could walk that. I could do that. Yeah, I could do right? 48 miles. I could, I mean, it'd be awful. But I could do that. You know what I mean? So days after he emerged from the storm, he had finally hit a stroke of luck when he came across a food cache, 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 yeah, cache. I don't know. I think it's like niche, niche or niche. Data, data. <laughs> I don't know. English is my first language. It's fine. Um, <laughs> cache, food cache, left by a search party. Um, so Mawson stated in his journal that a few hundred yards to either side, um, it would have been lost to the side of the drift. So he was very lucky that he found this, yeah. this food anyway. So Mawson knew he was only about 25 miles from the base. Um, but a note that was left with the food indicated that the Aurora had already left and he would be forced to stay over winter, which he basically already knew. Yeah. Um, the note also mentioned an ice cave that they had called Aladdin's cave that would provide him shelter. That was just five miles from Cape Denison. Should he need it? Um, Mawson was renewed with new energy and made his way toward the hut, um, and made it to, he made it to Aladdin's cave. But of course, a storm blew in that caused him to be stuck there for a week. Oh my god. Just five. Break. He just can't. So he was only five miles from the hut at this point, but because it's like, you know, white out conditions, you know. You can't get you know? there. So he actually considered making a dash for it, but he knew it would be so awful if he died on the last five miles of his yeah. 300 mile trek back to safety. Like that would just be so stupid. Glad he sells his smarts about him. Well, and it's like not to mention you're stuck anyway because the ship left. Yeah, it's like so you're, you're gonna like, be stuck somewhere. So right, and you have food now, you know. So yeah. you might as well like hang out and eat, just like try to regain your strength. So finally, on February eighth, he was able to make it to the hut, only to see the aurora far out at sea. He was mentally prepared to face the long winter alone at this point. However, six men decided to stay behind and wait for Mawson and his crew. Oh, that's nice. They tried to recall the ship at this point, but the ship could not return due to weather conditions. Um, it was just too late at this point. Yeah. Um, Mawson and the six other men remained at the hut for a second winter. Um, on the 23rd of March, after some weeks of physical recovery, Mawson wrote, I find my nerves in a very serious state, and from the feeling I have in the base of my head, I have a suspicion that I may go off my rocker very soon. Uh, he's like, I'm losing my fucking mind. <laughs> <laughs> my nerves have evidently had a very great shock, which I really appreciate this diary entry because I feel like they don't talk enough about, like, 
the mental effects of these kinds of events on these men mm -hmm. from back then because mental illness just wasn't something people wanted to talk about especially yeah. in their heroes that they were like going through this kind of stuff um and just to show you what he looked like upon his return he looks on, nothing like what he looked like when he started <laughs> he looks like a completely different human being he does <laughs> And I know it's kind of a grainy photo, but like, like he looks different. so different and so haggard. Like, it's like his hairline got better. <laughs> I don't know why, but yes, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's just the shadows or what. Yeah, it's very bizarre. But yeah, he looks like a different human being. And I, anyway, so that's how much it it changed him. <laughs> amazing um so even though the long dark winter was difficult for mawson to deal with the second year allowed them to study the aurora australis or the southern lights um during the summer the remaining team were able to map further reaches of the coast as well as survey and sample wildlife and geology they also discovered the first meteorites in antarctica and they were also able to make a wireless radio equipment work in long range, making their expedition the first to connect with the outside world to Antarctica via radio, hmm. which is a big deal because before this point, anybody who got dropped off for an expedition on the continent were basically on their own. Yeah. No, nobody knew what was going on with them they just had like oh please pick us up with the ship on this date right so if shackleton had had contact with the outside world maybe they would have been able to get to them or you know what i mean Something. yeah definitely um so that that's a pretty big and important step i think in antarctic expeditions and exploration yeah, i'd say so so after his return mawson became a great member of the heroic age of Antarctic expeditions or exploration and a hero to the Australian nation. In 1984, his face appeared on the um, 100 Australian dollar bill. Mm. Uh, yeah. In modern day, however, Mawson's leadership qualities have been called into question. His sledging strategy has been questioned whether it was sensible to put all important supplies on one sledge and was criticized for taking great risks at all times in order to go the farthest of all the sledging parties. But ultimately, considering the unknowable aspect of the land they trekked through with the goal of mapping it, many believe he did the best he could in a difficult situation. And yeah. like we said, like, you know, what the best strategy would be you know, on a crevasse like the one Ninnis died in, maybe he would have died anyway if the weight had been distributed differently. We don't know. Yeah. Or maybe Mawson would have been the one to die. Or Mertz. Ultimately, they had fallen through so many crevasses before that point and been fine. Yeah. Like the odds that somebody was going to die were pretty high. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other thing is people who are exploring Antarctica at this time wanted to push themselves and wanted to see what was out there and knew that it was dangerous. Ultimately, it wasn't like you were going there to have like a fun little 
vacation getaway. Right. So I'm like, that's kind of an interesting critique. Yeah. Especially for somebody who wasn't there. Right. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, it's the 19, early 1900s. Like, it's not like we have all the technology we do today. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just my personal input about it. So despite his critics, uh, Douglas Mawson remains one of the most impressive explorers of the Southern continent, um, both in joining greats like Ernest Shackleton and leading his own expedition into the unknown. While this smaller sledging party met an ill-fated end, he managed to claw his way back to home base in Cape Denison despite all odds and was successful in mapping a majority of this desolate coastline among taking the world record meteorological data and establishing um, the first radio contact with the outside world from the southern continent. Um, whether okay. it, yeah, so that, I mean, they, they accomplished stuff on this, yeah. despite this. Um, whether it was his scientific focus, his close brush with death, his willingness to drive on in unimaginable conditions, Douglas Mawson will always be in an Arctic great to me. Um, And one last thing, so slide five, this is something Mm -hmm. that's very cool about a lot of these expeditions. Um, You can still go to the Cape Denison hut today, and it's essentially preserved in time. Because it's so cold. Yes, and there's actually like food stores, I think, that's still there that are also like perfectly preserved from the time period. Wow. Um, which is really neat. Um, so there's a couple of sites like this in Antarctica from like historic exploration um, mm-hmm. that you can still go see today. And they're in pristine condition. I know they even wrote like years on the wood in there. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's the uh, story of uh, our boy Dougie. I like it. Yeah. Glad one person survived. I know. I was just I was like, oh my god, I don't know if Haley can handle the puppy death. Oh my gosh, I never can. But it's okay. uh, right after you talked about the dogs, I was checking my cameras at home to see if I could see mine, but I can't. Well, he's probably fine. Oh no, I know he's probably either in my roommate's room or he's on the couch because the way that I have the cameras, I can't see. Obviously, I'm not looking into my roommate's room and uh, being a creep. No. I have, well, I have a camera in my room and then I have a camera that's like in the kitchen area and I mm-hmm. had I had it facing the living room and kitchen at one point but my dog has been getting into the trash so much I just moved it closer to the trash can so I could like look at the camera when I leave the house and see yeah. like when he's getting into it because that's his protest behavior so um. Like, are you doing it right after I leave, or like, are you doing it like thirty minutes after I leave? Gotcha. You know. So. Yeah. Speaking of protest behavior, actually, this isn't protest behavior, but yesterday, and she's done this many times before. We were at our friend's house, which is on a cattle ranch, mm-hmm. and my dear dumb little puppy uh, decided to roll in some cow shit. <laughs> Marzi. <laughs> so we had to uh they have like an outdoor shower because there's like a, a little beach on the property too yeah and so we like <laughs> cleaned her off in the outdoor shower and she was Aww. so sad <laughs> and, but it's not the first time she's done it 
Yeah. And then I, we should have better eyes on her there, I guess now, cause she did it before and she's also rolling cat shit there. She just likes rolling. like a scent thing to like get mm-hmm. her scent on, um, yeah. Yeah, she does it um, with dead animals too. God. Uh, it's just her favorite thing. She won't do it with like regular dog shit. Dog, no, just it has like, to be- Just like it, catch it. It has to be other species, yeah. yeah. So. Marzi. I, and this fucking dog. <laughs> Corey was so angry. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> um, all right. So anyway, um, so yeah. So our boy Dougie survived. Other people did not, but that is no, the nature. Yeah, <gasps> this is the nature of these stories. Like I said last episode, it's very rare that we have a hundred percent survival rate. Yeah, but I have some lined up for the future. So. So just just letting you all know that it's <laughs> it's coming. We're gonna have a few. Cool, 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 cool. Tight, tight, tight. Um, yeah. So um, happy things because we need it this week. Happy things. I'm trying to think of happy things. I mean, I guess the happy thing is I get to spend more time at home, even though it happened in a way that was less than desirable that's what i'm saying it it might be a silver lining i know right i'm sure it is a silver lining yeah hopefully it's a silver lining and there's no more bad linings to this silver (laughs) i know um but yeah no that was good and then i'm just looking forward to going back to the keys and just Mm -hmm. you know seeing my puppy Mm -hmm. hanging with my boyfriend him and I have been like two ships passing in the night recently. No, oh, no. He went to Vegas with his cousins on their annual Vegas trip mm-hmm. like a week and a half ago. And then he landed at like 11 p.m. So I picked him up and then I was leaving the next day to come home at mm-hmm. like my flight was at like one. So I think he picked me up around like 11, 1130. Mm-hmm. So really the only time we had spent together was in the car driving back and forth to the airport. Oh, no. <laughs> so, and then like, I was going to come home today and then he leaves for Austin to go on another trip with his cousin <laughs> on his other side on Thursday. And then he comes back on Sunday and I'm like, well, I come home on Thursday. So. <laughs> Sounds like so, he needs to stop going on so many trips. <laughs> So it was one of those things where like collectively over the last, I don't know, week or two, we've had two hours together in the car. <laughs> yeah. That's, sometimes it'd be like that. Yeah, no. <laughs> he's, he's pretty bummed that it's gonna be another couple of days before I see him again. So like another another week, not even a couple of days, another week. <laughs> Y'all make it, y'all be fine. I It'll you need to like rest and recover and just make sure you're okay before you get back on a plane because we don't need you doing that in the what? air. <laughs> oh, dear God, that is like no, I never <laughs> like that happening. Yeah. But yeah, so good things is just, you know, hanging at home and looking forward to getting back to the keys and spending time with my dog and my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. That's really it. No, it's good. Um, I guess other than like wrapping up that big component of that project that I'm working on, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to have a nice, we had a nice little weekend, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to have another nice little weekend. I think we kind of needed 
that it's been a little crazy but um yeah Corey's friend came down from austin and we went over to our friend's house um ranch and marzi got into the cow shit but i mean yeah. you know everything's fine <laughs> it's fine and then next weekend we're going with those same friends up to the shiner brewery oh nice um so which i haven't really gone to a brewery in a while so it'll be just like doing little small fun trips mm-hmm. you know what i mean that don't cost a lot of money <laughs> um and i've started getting back into modeling again not you know modeling, house modeling. yeah no you're house modeling. my little miniature modeling and i'm building a beach house so fun i'm pumped about that um yeah. but yeah other i mean just little things right now that i to distract myself. Yeah, no, that's good. We need yeah. good distractions. Yes. Um, everybody needs good distractions. And I hope this podcast can be a distraction for you, <laughs> our listeners, um, because we have morbid things going on in our lives. It's fun to listen to other morbid things that don't have anything to do with us. It's like a comfort item. It's the whole like true crime, like spooky podcast community, which I think we are kind of adjacent to, mm-hmm. is very much like we use other morbid things to distract from our own like woes, which is just yeah. the most bizarre phenomenon, you know. And my mom keeps asking me why I'm so interested in this stuff. And I'm like, I honestly can't explain. <laughs> There's just something about it. It's just interesting. It's so interesting to me. Um, but anyway, um, so where can our listeners find us? You guys can find us on the socials at Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast on Instagram and MNWKY Podcast on Twitter. And then we have our website, Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast.com, where you can listen to us or you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, what have you, any streaming platform. Yeah, um, and if you um, want to submit a survival story or a field story of your own, you don't have to have gone on a 300-mile dog sledding trip, lost your two buddies, um, and fallen into a crevasse. For and us to pull yourself out of a crevasse. For, yeah, for us to read it aloud on the podcast. Um, but if you have, we want to hear about it. Um, but it can be really anything, um, that has to do with you being outside in nature and having a not so nice experience or a little unsettling, a little scary experience, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the nature of nature. Um, and I feel like all of us outdoors people have had something like that happen to us. Like my friend David, who had that, uh, cactus thorn. Yeah. Yeah, through his arm, right? Through his, his yeah, arm. Through his arm, yes. <laughs> right through it. Um, he was like, yeah. oh, why do I hurt? <laughs> oh, or me, who was on a sinking ship at one point, or sinking boat, rather. <laughs> yeah. You know, little things. Um, so, yeah, if you have those, uh, we have a submis- submission page on our website, that you can submit those stories to that will go to our email. Um, in addition to that, if you want to help out the podcast but don't want to spend money because we live in a capitalist hellscape and we're all struggling, um, 
you can give us five star ratings um, and reviews on any of the um, listening uh, apps. Yeah, apps. platforms. That's right, platforms. Whatever you want to call it. Um, basically, it just tells the computer to push us up higher in the rankings so that more people can hear about us and listen to us babble on about this nonsense, mm-hmm. which we think is very important and the world needs to hear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, real, real quick, uh, before we close out the podcast, let me tell you about my sources. Um So I used a brief article to kind of give me a timeline for this whole story, Uh, Douglas Mawson, an Australian's hero story of survival by Andrew Luck Baker, BBC News. But the majority of this information came from the book Alone on the Ice, the greatest survival story in the history of exploration by David Roberts, which I read and then reread to write this. because I hate myself. Um, (laughs) And um, those will be linked in the show notes. Um, So yeah, um, I guess we're wrapping up. Yeah, because I got to go pee again. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, until next time, stay safe. But most of all, stay curious, explorers. See you later. I hope your week is better. (laughs) (laughs) Me too.